You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Today we have our, this evening we have our special service as we give thanks for harvest time. This service was traditionally a celebration of praise after a long summer of hard work and autumn and labor. Crops were brought in. Crops were brought in and there was a feeling, ah, there was a feeling of some security, I suppose. And those of you that were our farmers in our gathering this evening will understand this very well. There was a real feeling of security that there was enough food, animal food brought in to uh, feed the animals and to see the family through, uh, the livestock through a possibly a very tough winter season. So a harvest Thanksgiving service was traditionally a time for Thanksgiving and particularly in a rural situation. Coupled with that, it was a time to acknowledge the Creator and it's a time to go right back to basics because the model was taken from the Old Testament. That the, uh, and in that model, as well as praise, a gift was brought into the, uh, the, the house, as it were. Uh, a gift was brought in uh, for the, the work, of, work of the house of God, the first fruits of our labors. Now, we don't bring corn or oats or potatoes. Well, we may bring a few. I've seen some outside purely only for decoration these days. But the kind of repair fund offering or property fund offering that some congregations have, and I know it was mentioned this morning that there's an offering, even though it's not lifted as such, um, for that very purpose here in this church, which is quite normal in many, many churches. That is the modern equivalent of bringing the tithes into the storehouse for the work of the temple of long ago, the harvest offering for the upkeep and well-being of the congregation, uh, which is very important. In days gone by, the minister's stipend was paid in that way. I have seen records of places uh, where leave to call was given by the linkage commission, as they talk about now, or the union commission, whatever they were, and it was something like 24 pounds per annum plus 12 barrels of oats. I presume the oats were to feed the horse, not for porridge for the minister. I have done a harvest service, and instead of giving me a supply fee, they give me a box of apples. You'll get that sort of thing if you went to County Armagh. But there it is. But, you know, the, 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 but the, this was the idea. These things were brought in, and that's what kept the, that's what kept the church running in those days. In other words, as well as Thanksgiving, which we've had this evening, it it was a time to give back something to God's work or to God's house or to the upkeep of the temple or the synagogue, acknowledging, as our last hymn said, that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, sadly, in our modern world, we now live in what's called the post-Christian era, sadly, And in that post-Christian era, in many people's minds, God is left out and seen as irrelevant. 
And we just tend to, people just tend to expect things to happen. Just tend to expect crops to grow. And they always assume there'll be plenty in the shop, plenty in our freezer to meet our needs. But I think it's wonderful to be here this evening because harvest in a service like this is a time to get right back to basics and to acknowledge with thanksgiving that things don't just happen by man's hand. I give you the illustration this morning of the potato famine that caused such desolation when man is not in charge of everything. Acknowledge with thanksgiving that things don't just happen by man's hand, that there is a creator, there is a provider, there is a caring God who is the ruler of the changing seasons. Now, poets have often used seasons as metaphors for lives. For example, uh, Keats talked about in his ode to autumn, the season of, uh, of mellow of mist and fruitfulness uh, lost the words of it now, of the mellow sun. You know that poem. But spring is seen as a time of new beginning. And summer is seen as a time for growth and success. Autumn, where we are, is a time for harvest, where we reap the fruits of our labor. And then winter is a time of endings and a time of eventual rest. Pictures of times, and that word time you can see it's very important for our sermon this evening. Pictures of the times or the seasons of life that people face. Traditionally, the harvest season in the autumn was a time of productivity. It's a time of completion and, and transition. Once the crops have been sent off to the market, the farmer rests, and then, of course, he plants something new. But in the wider sense, there's a challenge to all of us about our calling or our career, about our times. Is our, is our organization in church still bearing fruit? And that's a question that congregations need to ask, especially these days. We don't just do things because we've always done it in the past. Is this the time to look at how we do things? Is it, is what we do, is it still bearing fruit? Is it meeting the need? Is it uh, really uh, communicating the message, the message of the gospel? Is it time to do it a different way? Is it time, to use the agricultural metaphor, to plant something new? Very often I have found in churches, people flog a dead horse. They do something because they've always done it. They don't ask why they've done it. They don't say, is this the best way to do it? But they've always done it that way, and they don't want to change, because something new is frightening, and they resist it. I know of people who have given up the ministry because they're frustrated and disillusioned with churches conducting slow congregational funerals. I'm glad to say that is clearly not the case in the congregations represented this evening. But there's a time, a time to look, take a good look at things. Are we still in the will of God? Today our reading was a familiar passage, not maybe for harvest, but well known nonetheless. The writer to Ecclesiastics, probably Solomon, 
had a profound sense of time and seasons, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to, to, to uproot, a time to speak, a time to be silent, and so he goes on. Sometimes it's hard to understand those times. In Genesis 18, God arranged a specific time for Sarah, you remember, to conceive Isaac. That was difficult to understand for Abraham and Sarah to understand God's timing, and they thought they would uh, try to short-circuit the thing with great disastrous results. But there was a time when it was to happen. Jesus said at a wedding, you remember, the first miracle in Cana of Galilee when he was asked to turn the water into wine, and he said his time had not fully come. His mother couldn't quite grasp what he meant when he said that. Esther, the lovely story of Esther, was made queen. And that famous quotation in Esther 4, verse 14, that she was made queen for such a time as this. Such a time as this. So it seems to me that just like the seasons of spring and summer and autumn and winter, there are certain things for us in life in the differing times that God has given us. And today, we thank God at this harvest Thanksgiving service. We need to seize the moments and, and, and thank, those, thank God for those times. We'll look at the example in a moment or two, but let me say a couple of things first of all. There's a verse in Genesis 6, verse 3, which reads in the authorized version, God's Spirit will not always strive with man. It's a very poignant phrase, because... That verse is often used in gospel services, of course, to remind people to prepare themselves to meet their maker while they have opportunity, because that season or that time will not always pass. People say, I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it when I'm retired. I'll do it at a different time. But that time might pass. God's Spirit will not always strive with man. There's a time to put our house in order. There's a time to make our peace with God. Many people today are like the rich fool in the story that Jesus told. I'm sure it's often been preached in harvest, Luke 12, 16 to 21. They don't seize the moment. They leave earth with no prospect of eternal security and no peace. And sadly, many people, even in churches, week by week, don't seize the moment. It's important to seize the moment because we do not know what a day will bring forth. Seize the moment. And there's another verse in Scripture too, and I, I haven't quoted it, but um, Paul is talking in Ephesians 5.15 about redeeming the time. And that's a real challenge, I believe, for believing people. Even if we have seized the moment and if we have made a commitment of our lives to Christ and at some stage, and if we have, have asked him to be our Savior and, and, and know his forgiveness, then the challenge is for us to use our time wisely. We're challenged to redeem the time because the days are evil. That verse, Paul writing in the first century church in Ephesus, 
It's a kind of a New Testament corollary to the passage we read from Ecclesiastes 3. We need to use our time wisely and not let it slip through our hands like, uh, like, like sand to a, to a sieve. Selwyn Hughes, he's dead now, but some of you may be familiar with his writings. He wrote those every day with Jesus, Bible reading notes, which are still, of course, published and very helpful. And Selwyn Hughes said, discipleship is what a person does with his time, with his time. You can tell a lot about a person's thinking. You can tell a lot about a person's spiritual lives. You can tell a lot about a person's priorities by what they do with their time. And so I asked throughout the question this evening, how do you spend your time? Are you a time waster? A lot of time is spent on social media. I'm not here to condemn social media, not at all, not at all. I saw a couple not long ago, they were obviously out on a date. Well, I assume they were out on a date. They were that sort of age. <laughs> and they were in a restaurant. And what do you think they were doing? They weren't even talking to each other. What do you think they were doing? They were texting each other across the table. <laughs> I'm sure that ended well. <laughs> but you know, in all seriousness, we can be time wasters, can't we? And, and Moses said in, in, in Psalm 90, he said, Teacher, you know the verse, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In other words, we need to seize the moments and we need to redeem the time. Paul seemed to put a lot of emphasis after his conversion on how he used his time. Uh, and again, in, in Colossians 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom, redeem the time. Redeem the time. I'm going to put up a quote on the screen now um, because it was a phrase that was given, to, it was a statement that was made to me by a lady, and I never forgot it. It was in connection with a person who sadly had died very young. And obviously, when you're in a situation and trying to sympathize with someone, it's very hard to know what to say. And this lady, trying to make sense of the situation and trying to comfort a grieving, a grieving mother, and she said this, she said, it's not the number of years that matters. It's what we do in the years that counts. And that the more I think about it, that makes a lot of sense. How we redeem our time on earth. It's not the number of years that matters. It's what we do with the years that counts. Harvest time. That's what we're celebrating this evening. Harvest has to be reaped when it's ripe. If a farmer doesn't seize the moment and use the time, use the window of opportunity, then all the preceding work of the blessing of summer growth is completely and absolutely wasted. That is a parable about Christian life. God has only given us time. Only he knows how much time we have. But here's the point. He expects us to use our time, whatever time we have, he expects us to use our time wisely on earth. Throw out that question again. Are you a time waster? Well, I suppose we all waste a little time, but are you one who fiddles your days through? Are you a person who's seeking to redeem the time? Now, let's look very briefly at Peter. 
You could use any Bible character you wish, but I've chosen this evening just to mention at the end about Peter. The first thing I would say about Peter, we all know the story of Simon Peter, the, the big, bold fisherman. He appears quite largely in, in, in the New Testament. He was a big player eventually. But the first thing about him was there was a time when he did not know Jesus. There was a time when he did not know Jesus. He spent his time, whatever number of years it was, we're not told what age he was, but he spent the earlier part of his life as a first century fisherman somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus would have been a stranger to him. But one day, one blessed day, his brother Andrew, of whom, incidentally, the Bible tells us very little, and yet Andrew was instrumental in doing something. He's not a big player, Andrew, but yes, he is a big player, because Andrew introduced, G introduced Peter to Jesus. We would talk about, we'd say, conversion today. A time when he first came to follow Jesus. That's a very important time in any person's life. A critical time. There should be a time when we come to know Jesus. Time of change. Secondly, Peter. Peter being one of the privilege of becoming one of Jesus' disciples. He's probably best remembered for the time when he denied ever knowing Jesus. It wasn't a particularly good thing to do. But nonetheless, as I think about it, it gives me hope. And why does it give me hope that he denied Jesus? Well, not at all, not for that reason. But it gives me hope because there are so many times when we all let God down. There are so many times in life when we just wish we could do things differently. We wish we could live that day again. We wish we could start all over again, or to use the agricultural metaphor, we wish we could replow the field and start and plant a different crop altogether. But why does it give me hope? Because notice this. Even though there was a time when Peter denied Jesus... At a crucial time in the Garden of Gethsemane, just because he was afraid of what his, his, his friends would say, Jesus did not turn his back on Peter when he confessed, and he was restored. There was a time to face facts. There was a time to make amends. There was a time to move on, to break up new ground. Yes, a time to seize the moment. I would suggest to you on the subject of time that was a painful time in Peter's life. No doubt as he looked back on it. But with God's help, he was able to move on. And move on he did. And so must we all. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And the other thing about Peter is this. There was a time to get committed to doing new things. Peter's life changed. Sometimes in churches these days, people get a great burst of enthusiasm, and then within a short space of time, it dries up, and we don't want to be bothered anymore. I've seen that in committees and boards and, uh, and church groups as well. 
what do we see in the example of Peter's ministry? We see, first of all, he had to learn things the hard way. Acts 10, Acts 10 verse 9, records a lesson. It was a difficult lesson for, for Peter to learn. It was about a vision. You can read it yourself. Peter needed to be freed from old prejudice that he had about things that were unclean. You see, Peter thought politically he was a Jew, and he thought like a Jew, and he thought that God cared only about the Jew. He cared little about other races, a bit like Jonah. You remember Jonah didn't want to go uh, to preach to Nineveh? And the real reason was there was a political problem there. Uh, There was a bigotry there. And again, like Peter, he had to learn things the hard way. There was a time in Peter when he needed to be released from his prejudice and released from his bondage and see the bigger picture in the will of God. Nowhere more in this, than this province do we still need to be released from old prejudice and labeled sometimes of denomination. Sometimes we fix, uh, maybe more is fixed on the denomination of the church than the God who is above all denominations. There are times when we need, like Peter, to leave behind the smaller picture in order to grasp the bigger picture in the will of God. But the point I want to leave you to consider is this, that Peter redeemed the time, as must we all. And in the latter part of Peter's life, he seemed to use his time in a most God-honoring way. His ministry is in four stages. Between 29 and 35 AD, approximately, he seemed to focus on the activities around Jerusalem, where Peter was at that time. And between 35 and 44 AD, uh, during which he uh, remained at Lydia and Joppa, he received a call to go to Caesarea and in the house of Cornelius, And that opened the way to do something that was completely new. Peter couldn't have imagined he'd have done it. That was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. We cannot fully maybe understand how difficult that would have been for a person like Peter from a Jewish background to be involved in in preaching to the gospel. It was momentous in the spread of Christianity. Peter was involved at that time. And then came the Syrian mission with Antioch. That's uh, about 44 to 61 AD when he was accompanied by his wife. Remember that the, the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. It was a nickname there. And then finally, in Rome in AD 61, according to legend, he begged his crucifier to crucify him upside down. Why do you want to be crucified upside down? because he felt he was unworthy to die in the same manner as the Savior that he had once, that he had once denied and then he eventually had served. I suggest to you today that he redeemed the time to great effect, and so must we all. Now, in many respects, we are not Peter or Paul or Andrew or, or James or John, but the principle is still the same. There's a time to do new things. And it's wonderful to draw your attention at harvest time that God has made everything beautiful. Everything beautiful in his time. 
God has set eternity in the hearts of men. God does it that mankind will revere him. So said the writer to Ecclesiastes. It is time to seek the Lord. It is time to serve him. What time is it? Time to finish, some may say. Hugo might say, time for your tea and cream buns, whatever you're having. How much time have we left to serve God well? Nobody knows the answer to that question. But I've often thought of a hymn that I once heard. I first heard it at the Monaghan Missionary Convention in the lovely old First Monaghan Church. And it makes me think. It says this, I have only one life on this earth. But like vapor is passing away, I must labor for treasures of worth ere toil ends at the close of the day. Only one life to live. I must never withhold it from God. Only one life to live. I must not miss the well done of God. Only one life to live. I must not withhold that from God. Only one life to live. I must not miss the well done of God. What do you do with your time? Let us pray. Thank you.